morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. One of the great benefits of being a Christian, and one of the things that distinguishes us from unbelievers, is highlighted in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, and therefore is always a summation word, and it's the summation of everything that has come before this verse. Therefore, from now on, we believers in Christ recognize no one according to the flesh. As Christians, we are trained to see others as God sees them and not as their conduct dictates and not from external appearances. We don't judge a book by its cover. The Word of God fills us with compassion and unconditional love for people when they are being unlovable, even when they're members of our own family. And that's what happens with our own family a lot of times. You know, uh, I hear a lot of stories about things that are going on in families that are horrible. And I always ask the people, did you believe the Lord when he said, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household? Did you believe the Lord when he said, a prophet has honor, just not in his own household, not with his own family members? because he was serious about that, and it started in his own household, because all of the angels turned against him. And so this is something you can expect. Well, as Christians, we have to learn to see people whom we love, who are acting unlovable, with the compassion and the unconditional love with which God sees us. We have to remember that when people are acting out, they are listening to the flesh in themselves. As Christians, we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. In the body is this thing called the flesh. It is more powerful than you. It has a stronger will than you. It is always talking to you, and what it's saying to you is always negative. And that's why it's going to die. Your body is going to die, but your body is not who you are. Who you are is your soul and spirit. Those for believers in Christ, will be absent from that horrible human body, our earthly tent is what the Bible calls it, and face-to-face with the Lord. We can't wait for that day to shed this thing that drives us absolutely crazy. Well, when people are acting out, they're listening to the flesh. And it always cracks me up when people say, I have willpower. You have willpower, nothing. Your flesh is so much more powerful than you. Your flesh laughs at you when you say you have willpower. The only power we have is the power that comes from within, from the indwelling trinity. So we have to give the people in our, in our lives some compassion. We have to give them a break and honor their journey as they wrestle with that part of themselves because you're wrestling with that part of yourself too. And it's always funny to me when Christians are pointing at other people and talking about their flesh and forgetting about their own flesh. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. He says this, finally, and again, a summation word, finally, be strong, you who are in union with the Lord. Be strong in the strength of his might. Two of my favorite Greek words, dunamis sphaia, the sphere of his might. Ephesians 6, 11, pick up and put on the full armor of God. This was a prison epistle. And Paul every day would see the Roman soldiers who were guarding him pick up and put on their armor. And he used it as an analogy to tell Christians what to do. Pick up and put on the full armor of God, so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. What is a scheme? 
A scheme is a strategy. It's something that somebody does for distinctive advantage. Satan is seeking distinctive advantage over you. Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle, and this is a big point for us to remember in our daily struggles with the people we love. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Our struggle's not against human beings. Our battle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of this dark world. Our struggle is against the spiritual realm. Our battle is against the forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. What does that mean exactly? That means if you are married, one of the partners in that marriage is being talked to by the flesh and is being encouraged to ruin the relationship. That's what it means. It means that Satan does not honor unity. He hates unity. I always chuckle at these people who think that they're practicing for marriage by living together. You ain't practicing for marriage living together. The two are two flesh. Satan doesn't care about that. But as soon as you say, I do, the two become one flesh and all hell breaks loose. And you always hear couples who live together beforehand say, I don't know what happened, but when we got married, everything changed. This is what happened. The two became one flesh. And Satan said, target practice. That's what happened. People who live together before they get married are 38% more likely to divorce. Because they're in shock. What changed? I fell out of love. Uh, how many times did you fall out of love over the course of 50 year, 58 years? Pat, don't answer that. <laughs> but a couple, right? I mean, you know, marriage is all about no matter what. It's not about love. Love is about two-year experience. That, that lighter fluid love, unconditional love is the love we're talking about. So anyway, let the Lord fight your battles with people because he plays offense and we're instructed to play defense. Pick up and put on the armor and take the blows. But do not go on the attack against evil. You cannot win that attack. You cannot beat your flesh. Even trying is just silly. Now, at Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity, he is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he tabernacled among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man, in one person forever. He is the only begotten one, meaning he was created in the exact same essence as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit an exact duplication of them, exact in power, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and nothing happens in the universe without his permission. And he is the Jewish Messiah. And unfortunately for them, this first time around, they missed it. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And as those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. But God has an enemy, Satan, 
who is the ruler of this world. And that's one of the things I just love about being a Christian and I love about the Lord. The Lord is crystal clear. The Lord is a great leader and Satan is not. And what we see in this world we live in, we've, we are not of this world, we're in it. Our citizenship is in heaven according to Philippians 3.20. So we are here on loan. And one of the things that I hate about living in the world is we are living under a ruler who cannot rule his own kingdom. And all that ruler wants to do is to put us in a state of tyranny, to lie to us that he wants us to be free, but he really wants us to worship him and to be in a state of tyranny. And that is not the Lord's program. The Lord gives us free will. He says it's all about want to, not have to, and he will honor whatever we choose to do. See? That's what a leader does, and I love that. But Satan's not like that. He doesn't want you to. He's a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. He does not want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to know God. And his strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make you indifferent or antagonistic to God. I always laugh when people, I, I laugh a lot, you know what But I always laugh when people, I, I'm a Methodist. Oh, so who do you worship? Method? I'm a Lutheran. Okay, so who do you worship? Martin Luther? Why don't you read some of Martin Luther? Martin Luther said that anybody who would worship me over the Lord is an idiot. You know, so we always got all these names for what we are. Oh, uh, Lutheranism is a Christian denomination. There are no denominations in, Christian, in, in Christianity. And everything else. That's Satan's deception. And I'm not out of school. I was a Roman Catholic. I was a systematic theologist. What's that got to do with Christ? Nada. Nothing. Religion deceives you into thinking you're saved when you might not be. And it works. Well, the Word of God is truth, and it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the whole world. Today's Bible lesson, in God's eyes, women are not inferior to men. Amen? Amen, Amen sisters, yes. <laughs> but you think inferior. You think inferior. Like what? Uh-huh, you didn't see that one coming, did you? I didn't either, because I didn't have it written down. <laughs> anyway, in God's eyes, women are not inferior to men. That's the lesson for today. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, the Apostle Paul writes this. In God's eyes, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no racial distinction. There is neither slave nor free man. There is no social distinction. There is neither male nor female. There are no gender distinctions. For you believers in Christ are all one. You're placed into unity by God and placed into union with Jesus Christ through the baptism of God the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Now, if God doesn't see the distinctions, why do we? Why is it that we get our backs up when we hear that there's a structure of authority? Why do we get our back up when I said what I just said? Why? Women think inferior. Why do you get your back up? You mean you don't ever? We all do. 
we all think inferior. We don't think very highly of ourselves, unfortunately. And as Christians, that's ridiculous. You have the sovereign God of the universe on your side, and you biting your nails, wondering if you, yeah, this is one of my favorites. God willing, what do you think he is in the matter of you? He's very willing. He wants you to delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So, in God's we get our backs up when we hear that there is a structure of authority in God's universe. What's the problem with being in submission to another's authority? I am in submission to God's authority, and I do not consider that to be a weak position. But so many people, when they hear that word, women, be submissive to your own husbands. And you go, why? We're equal. No, wait a second. Where did you even get that cat noise from? Where did you get that from? You got it from Satan. You didn't get it from God, because I, I have no problem with being the vice president to the sovereign God of the universe. If you pick a husband as a woman, you should have no problem being the vice president to the president. You picked them. So why do we have a problem with that? Why do we have a problem with authority? Why are we always whining about our boss at work? Well, in the human realm, we do that because they're imperfect. But whether they're perfect or not, God put them in the position. And so if we can't honor them, we at least honor the seat that they're sitting in because God put them there. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. So what's the problem with order, which is what authority is? What's the problem with behaving in a way that brings honor to those that you love? Well, in today's passage from 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses the issue. And maybe we won't be so quick to get our back up when we study that. All right, let's hear some music finally. At the end of our lessons, we hear a doxology. Doxology are words praise our God. And one of my favorites is first. You lost me. No, this is my favorite part. You can't lose me here. No, I'm still on. Check, 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 check. Check, 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 check. You do? Okay, good. Where did I go? <laughs> All right. God only knows what it is. That's the song. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back because he cares for you. And as you know, he cares for you is a Greek idiom, and it means God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Well, here's a doxology in a song from the group Finding Favor called Cast My Cares. Fear feels bigger than my faith And struggles steal my breath away When my back's pressed up against the wall With the weight of my worries stacked up tall You're strong enough to hold it all 
Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us an organized approach to life amidst the confusion of Satan's kingdom. Help us orient our lives to you and to your Word. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, in God's eyes, women are not inferior to men. In God's eyes... Women are not inferior to men, and women shouldn't think they are. Any more than a person with dark skin should think they're somehow inferior, or somebody who is from the quote-unquote wrong country should think that they're inferior. 
As Christians, we don't think of ourselves as inferior in any respect. But we do. What's up with that? Well, I'll tell you what's up with that. Satan, the enemy of God, deceives the whole world. 60% of Christians don't believe that Satan exists. They think he's a, a, a fairy tale or a story or a person uh, who's got red epidermis and a little tail with uh, an arrow at the end and a trident. No, he's the most gorgeous, most brilliant, most uh, gifted orator ever to come from the hand of God. And if you walked in this room, you'd all fall down and worship him. You couldn't resist his charm. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 tells us this. The great dragon was thrown down. That's Satan in the future. He will be cast out of heaven. That's his residence right now. He is making an appeal of his sentence where he was sentenced to the lake of fire. He and, he and the angels who followed him have been sentenced to the lake of fire, and they are appealing the sentence. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He is brilliant at deception. You see his handiwork every time you turn on the news these days. There's an election coming up in the United States, and you're being propagandized by the candidates. They are promising you what they think you want to hear, but will they deliver? How long have we been hearing that we're going to give more funding to schools, and that we're going to pay the teachers more, and it's going to make everything better? Has it ever occurred? No. And we keep believing it. Oh, it's going to happen this time. No, it's not. They're lying to you. It's not going to happen this time. Why? Because there's a liar behind it all who deceives the whole world. And we love being lied to. We love the deception. We repel from the truth as human beings. I don't get it. So, do... The people who are promising you have a track record of delivering because deception confuses you. Let's say there's a truth and you hear a deceptive lie. You go, well, wait a minute. Well, which one is it? Is it that or is it that? Deception introduces doubt and gets you to question what is true. Well, God is not confusing. He's clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. That peace means he has nothing against us. Because what Christ did at the cross reconciled us to God the Father. As it is to be in all the churches of the saints. What's to be in all of the churches of the saints? No confusion. It's always funny to me when Christians argue about Christianity and biblical points. If Christians, two Christians disagree about a bi biblical point, one or both of them are wrong. Because there's only one thing that the Bible is saying. So there's no reason why we should look at the same thing and see different stuff. Everything with God is one. He is so uncomplicated. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6 say this, there is one body, the body of Christ, that's us. We are the body and he is the head. He's the great shepherd and we are the sheep. He is the groom and we are the bride. There's one God, the Holy Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. What is the hope of your calling? The absolute confidence 
that because you believe in Christ, you are saved, and because you are saved, you will be with him in eternity. That's what hope really is, Ephesians 4, 5. There is one Lord, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one faith, Christianity. There is one baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you got dunked in a water tank and you think that saved you, all you did was almost drown, right? And that's why, you know, you don't see black people doing that <laughs> baptism thing, right? Because we can't swim. We ain't going under there. No, it was so funny. I was in Israel. I was in Israel, and you can get baptized in the Jordan. And so, you know, for, for $1.95, you can, you know, for 500 shekels, you can get baptized. So they put this gown on you, and they hold your nose, and they run. And I'm standing and watching this, and the guy said, you want to get baptized? Don't look at me. I cannot swim. I'll hold your nose. No, you won't. You'll open it just as soon as I get under the I'll be drowned. No. Uh, I ain't paying to die. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 6. There is one God and Father of all, a God and Father who is over all, who is through all, and who is indwelling all. Now, in man's view, the Bible is subject to interpretation. In God's view, the Bible is subject to translation. The New Testament is written in Koine Greek. Every expression in the language has one and only one interpretation. When I go read the Koine Greek, and I read and write Koine Greek, when I go and read the Koine Greek, it only says one thing. There's nothing confusing about it, and I come and tell you what it says. I don't have to interpret anything. I just have to keep my butt out of the way. Amen? And Hebrew and Aramaic, which the Old Testament is written in, are very similarly structured, simple languages, easily translatable into any language. In God's view, the Bible is subject to translation. And most of the translation committees are wimps who are trying to add their spin to what God has to say. And if a translation isn't exactly what God is saying, then it is inaccurate. The source of inaccuracy is not fallible man. It's deceptive Satan who wants to infiltrate the Bible, and he has never been able to do it successfully. He tried to introduce the gospel according to Thomas, the gospel according to Judas, the book of Maccabees, and all this other, the book of Mormon, uh, God the Father and Jesus Christ, who are two separate people, came to, to Joseph Smith, in the 19th century and said, my church has gone bad. You need to help me, <laughs> You need to help me, Joseph Smith. Seriously? The sovereign God of the universe came to a person he created and told him that he needed help. And so now we need a Book of Mormon, the Book of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, but they don't even believe Jesus Christ is God. It's just hilarious what we believe, fastest growing religion in the world. It's hilarious what we believe. We are so gullible. So when we, don't, when we orient to God's wishes, it's called obedience. There's nothing wrong with obedience. When we disorient to God's wishes, it's called rebellion. In God's plan, there's gender distinction. There are males and there are females. The distinction does not make you inferior. It makes you different. And I don't know whether you know this or not, but when men and women fit really well together. They work really well together. And all these perversions don't work so well together, but you never hear about any of that, do you? 
You know, it's sort of like if you marry a person of the same sex, that there are never problems. Have you ever heard of a problem between people of the same sex who have married? I don't ever hear that. I wonder why. But you always hear about men and women having problems in their relationship. Why don't we ever hear about men and men and women and women having problems in their relationship? We never hear about it in Satan's kingdom. Do you think that's a little strange? I do. I do. Because you know two human beings get together. I don't care who they are. They got problems on their hands. Amen? All right. So Satan likes to blur the lines of gender. He has a host of options to offer mankind. Males, you can be with males. Females, you can be with females. If you don't like your gender, transition to another gender. And uh, he, he promotes androgyny. Well, what is androgyny? Androgyny is neutralizing gender differences. Not clearly male or not clearly female. Doing things according to the custom of the other sex. So cross-dressing and stuff like that. That bummed me out because I do kind of like painting my toes, I got to be honest. No. So anyway, see, <laughs> you think I'm kidding, you want to see? Satan wants us to think that there is no God-ordained difference and that you can be anything you want to be. Well, the truth of the matter is you can, but that doesn't make it part of God's plan. In God's plan, there's no racial distinction. Yet as I have grown up, I have transitioned many times. I have gone from colored to Negro to black to African-American, the one that makes me maddest, to an at-risk youth, to a person of color, to a minority. Which of those titles is designed to make me feel important or included? Now here, all the politicians are saying, black lives matter, man. Black lives matter. Okay, so why are you calling us minorities then? If we matter so much, why are you taking our American, which is one of the only things that we have that's worth anything, and then adding African to it? Why? If we matter so much. We don't matter. We have never mattered. Black people are the beta test for everything perverted that, that people want to test on the human race. That's what we are. But we don't have to think like that. And I don't. I don't want your vaccination. A friend of mine got three vaccine shots the other day, sick as a dog for four days. I don't want no vaccination. I don't need a vaccination. I don't get the flu. Nose runs a little bit sometimes, but that's, you know, that's just to be expected in life. All right, anyway. So welcome to our visitors. Look. Here's the way we do things. So the first part of the lesson is telling you who Jesus Christ is. The second part of the lesson is we study a passage verse by verse. The third part of the lesson teaches you how to get to heaven, and we do that every time. All right, so we're going to the next part. The next passage of study, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 to 16. Paul begins to address a new subject of concern to Chloe's people. We are finished with idle meat. Go ahead, you can clap. <laughs> yes, Pastor, I like talking about idle meat a little bit. It always made me hungry. It made me prepare me for the break. Amen. <laughs> so let's remind ourselves of what the letter to the believers at first century Corinth 
is all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. I, Paul, have been informed concerning you, my brethren in the church at Corinth, by Chloe's people, that there are rivalries among you. There were divisions in the church at Corinth. Why? The Corinthians are a set of divisive, goofy, and immature new believers of the first century church. They were pagans. They live in the Las Vegas of the ancient world, Corinth, which is where all the people from Rome would go to party so that nobody would know they were doing all these debauchery things. And they lived, Corinth was near the seat of philosophical wisdom, Greece, so they were all into their heads, sitting around smoking hookah, or smoking whatever was the smoke of the day, and philosophizing about life before they went back to their uh, normal life. Yet say what you want about them, Paul begins this passage by letting them know that he's proud of them for pressing on in the faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Now I, Paul, praise you, Corinthian believers, because you remember me in everything and you hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. What traditions? The tra traditions of Christianity. And they were doing their best, but they had not overcome their flesh. They had not overcome their humanity. They had not overcome their desire to go back to pagan, uh, paganism. So his first lesson... In this passage, Paul is addressing the issue of women praying and prophesying during a church service without coverings on their head. Now, why were the women doing this? Philosophers argue about it. My guess is that a lot of these services were in their homes, and they felt at home in their homes, and so they said, well, why I got, this, is my, this is my house. Why I got to put a hat on my head? Because it's a church service, and that was the tradition. Put a hat on your head. Well, why is that? We'll find out. All right, so his first lesson in the passage is that there is always a structure of authority. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I want you believers in Corinth to know that Christ is the head of every man. Structure of authority, Christ and a man. The man is the head of every woman. Structure of authority, man and woman. And God the Father is the head of Christ. Structure of authority, the Father and Christ. All right. So you're going to get your back up? Even the Lord is subject to the authority of God the Father. He said, I came to do my Father's will. That's what people who are in a submission relationship do, the will of the head. Because God operates with a system of authority, there's always one person that's responsible for the conduct of others. It was that way in angelic history. Satan was the head of the angelic race. It's that way in human history. Adam was the federal head of the human race, and he was the head of his wife, Isha, who became Eve when she became a believer in Christ after the fall. It was that way in the Jewish race. Abraham is the father of the Jewish race. In a family, parents are the heads of the children. In a nation, the government is at the head of citizens. The Lord is the head of individuals, whether they acknowledge it or not. But what do people do as soon as they find out there's a structure of authority? They either do one of two things. They obey or they rebel. Well, what do you think the flesh in you is always doing? Always rebelling. And to your destruction, the flesh in you wants to destroy you, wants to destroy every relationship you have. Well, why didn't God remove the flesh at the moment of salvation when he knew that it was going to be so destructive to us. Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't have time to talk to you about it today. 
Now, when we have a head, what we, redo, what we do is a reflection of the head. For example, what a child does reflects on the parents. The idea Paul is introducing to support his argument is the idea that the physical head reflects on the metaphorical head. And the head here is making two points. When you got something on your head, ladies, it's a great reflection on your man. When you don't have something on your head, men, it's a great reflection of your God. There's a structure of authority. And he's introducing the idea of honor. And that's something that we've completely forgotten about in our culture. Honor. Now Paul turns to the subject of the passage, the worship practices of the Corinthian church, especially women. And by the way, there's only one verse in this passage that singles out women exclusively. In all the other verses, there's a, a cadence that goes back and forth. Men, you ought to do this. Women, you ought to do this. Men, you ought to do this. Women, you ought to do this. But then there's one thing that singles out women. 1 Corinthians 11.4. Every man who has something on his physical head while praying or prophesying disgraces his metaphorical head. It is a disgrace for men to have something on their head when they're praying because they are blocking the glory of God from getting to them. Okay? Now, the Bible has to be interpreted in the time it was written. For a man to have something on his head while praying and prophesying was shameful. It was the equivalent of wearing a hoodie, which sometimes makes a kid look like a hoodlum, thus shaming his parents. Do you ever wear hoodies, dog? You see what I'm saying? Now, <laughs> now, the practice of wearing a toga on the head in the first century, in first century Corinth was a, to was a pagan practice. And so that's what Paul is really talking about here. And what he's pointing out is that it is not Christian practice. It disgraces the head who is Christ. Bo boys who wear their hat backwards, you always know one thing about them. They have their head screwed on backwards. You always know it. It's just like that. And it's been, been the case. Both of my sons, by the way, wear their heads back. So go figure. Hey, don't be hijacking my story. I like my story. All right. 1 Corinthians 11.5 But every woman who has her physical head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her metaphorical head for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. What does that mean? It, in the time the Bible was written, it was considered a disgrace for women to be in public without a head covering. You're feeling me on this, uh, Vita, aren't you? you? You got some family members who still wearing burkers. I bet you got a burker hiding somewhere at home. <laughs> I'm checking next time I visit. Be all looking all over your clock. Hey, what's this? <laughs> but boy you know I, one, of the, one of the things I remember I was doing some work in Malaysia and Malaysia is 80 degrees and 80% humidity all year long and these poor women had to walk around with the burqa on they're Muslims and they had to walk around with the burqa on why? because hair is considered sexy in their culture and so they would wear this head covering so that they wouldn't look so sexy I don't get it. I think they look sexier, but that's just me. So, anyway, 
So it was considered a disgrace for women to be in public without a head covering. If a woman was an adulteress, she was often publicly disgraced by having her head shaved to communicate her error to the community. So a woman's uncovered head had sexual connotations. She was considered available or loose, thus it was a disgrace to a woman's metaphorical head, her husband, to have an uncovered physical head. You see what I'm saying, uh, Barah Ministries women? So you guys have been embarrassing to me for years, and I never said anything, <laughs> right? I don't say it, but I was thinking it. <laughs> uh, this is too much fun. Why is this so much fun? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. A covered head for a woman indicated that she is chaste, modest, respectful, and pure, honoring the men in her life. It was all about honor. Women were not to be objects of sexual thought during worship. And women who weren't covering their head, you could see their hair, and your mind would wander. That's what they're talking about here, a head covering discouraged such thoughts. This verse is one of the two commands in the passage. Women must cover their heads in church, even when the church service is held in their own home. That was the custom of the day. Remember when we used to have customs? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. For a man ought to not, no way not know how, ook, the strongest Greek word for not, a man ought not to have his head covered when praying. Not ever since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman ought to have her head covered because she is the glory of the man. Isn't that beautiful how God arranged things? It's a reflection of her man. And I will tell you that we have one of those women in our church. That's Pat Collins. We have one of those women who has stuck with a guy for 58 years. That's a, a half a century plus eight years. And I don't care what their relationship was like, that's badass. Amen? Amen? That is. That's amazing. That is amazing. But I've gotten to know them over the last five or ten years, and I know what they're like, and it's just like that. And that's beautiful. And you know ups and downs and ups and downs to get to that place. So... And that's, that is a reflection. Right here in our midst, we get to see a real marriage and a real relationship that works in a real way with some real people who have faults and flaws and everything else, but still make it work no matter what. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. For man does not originate from woman. The woman originates from the man. Women were made from a missing rib and guys. There's man and there's woe man. All right, but here's Paul given the balance. First Corinthians eleven nine wasn't created, and man wasn't created for the woman's sake. It was the woman created for the man's sake. But here's the balance. First Corinthians eleven ten. Therefore, women ought to have authority on their physical head because of the angels who witness the activity of humans. Women, when they are honorable and respectful, and chaste and pure, and honor the traditions of a church are teaching the angels in the Supreme Court of Heaven what submission is like. 
when it's going well. And that is why the angels who followed Satan are going to the lake of fire, because they didn't do that. And so in the next part of the passage, we're going to get that balance I was talking about. So a woman who covered her head indicated that she was in control of her life. She was not loose. She was honorable. She is eliminating the chance that she will be looked at as an object of sexual desire during a worship service. She is being modest, as all women ought to be. And it's brought to mind, I was on a Hertz bus one time, and so I was sitting on this side of the bus, and there was a woman sitting across from me, and she had her legs wide open. She had on a skirt, and her had her legs wide open, the white panties right there, you know. You know, so you're just kind of minding your own business, and then you look up, and you go, whoa, whoa. And I mean, her legs were open, okay? Not modest like m women mostly are. You know, women always got that mark on their leg over here because they're crossing their legs and stuff like that. I don't even know how y'all do that all day. And so, you know, you go from here and you go up. And, oh, my God, it was a broadcaster from CNN. I'm sorry, from ESPN. And if I mentioned her name, you would know who she is. And she was just sitting there. And I was thinking, that's disgusting. You know why? Because it was immodest. Nobody wants to see that. That's not how women act. That's how some women act, but that's not how women act. That's what we're talking about here. See, there are some women who operate in a really honorable way, and there's some who don't. And what does God want? Honor. Honor. That's it. And he wants it for men and women. But in this case, we're talking about women. All right, when we get back from our five-minute break, we'll take the offering, and then you'll hear the rest of the story. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, we'll all never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody We're all about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, in God's eyes, women are not inferior to men. In God's eyes, women are not inferior to men. In his time on earth, the Lord talked about money and possessions quite a bit. In fact, about 20% of his time was spent talking about money and possessions. He ate good food, he drank expensive wine, and he wore beautiful clothes. He was criticized for it by the Pharisees, who were a group of pretend ascetics, who preached self-denial, that's what asceticism is, he, they preached self-denial, but when no one was looking, they were quite self-indulgent. They were inspired by the enemy of God who has convinced them and us believers in Christ to be misers with our possessions. As you think about giving, don't be misers, be generous, and watch God give it all back to you only in abundance. Your cup will run over. Let's welcome Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. Thank you, Jim. I might be up a little, a little much there. Thank you. 
Anyways, my name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. It's a place where real believers come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real word of God. <clears throat> and lately I've been thinking about, you know, we've just been living in this world of chaos, and I was kind of feeling jealous of Adam and Eve. You know, they're in the Garden of Eden, just living in perfect harmony, you know, hanging out naked, just chilling, talking to God, no problems. And all of a sudden a snake comes along introduce chaos and fear and so that's really the life we're living right we're in the garden of evil now and you can really see it this year especially this year because it's just been you know with covid and the it's a you know it's a political year where we've got an election so you got that sprinkled on top and then we've just got stuff that was already going on in the world with you know hurricanes and terrorism and all the stuff we have in our lives that are already going problems with maybe money problems and so it's just from the garden of eden and the harmony to now we've got chaos and so I'm loving the study we have right now because it's showing us what we need to do is just be calm and sit in our roles. We all have roles. We all have perfect roles, like Adam and Eve had a role, um, and so do we in the church, in our families, in our body. You look at our body. Every part of your body has a specific role it does. It doesn't try to act out of tune. One part of the body doesn't do the other part of the body or you know, try to do certain things. It's like when it does, you got like teenage boys thinking what the wrong part of their body, right? That kind of thing. That's where, the, you know, it's not working. There's no perfect harmony in that. Um, you can see it with, with families. As soon as you have kids, there's disunity in your household. They come right between the parents and divide everything. There's no harmony. They don't know their role. They don't know how to be obedience or how to, how to have obedience. And then you think in the church. Everybody in the church has a role. We all have a spiritual gift. We all have something we need to add to the church. And so if you break that down even further, we all have these unique roles in every part of our life. But we also have shared roles. That's to support the church that we're at. That's the time of worship. That's the time of giving. And we also have shared roles, which is unconditional love. At the end of the day, that's really the only way to have harmony, to have perfect harmony, is to know your role and to be, have unconditional love with everybody. And to not forget it. You know what I mean? This life, this chaos makes you want to give up. It makes you want to stop having relationships. It makes you want to stop getting out there. It makes you want to not have a family. It makes you not want to vote. And that's not what, a, you know, that's not what God wants. God doesn't want you to give up. But the Satan, this garden of evil, wants us to give up. It wants us to forget on all that. And that's really the easiest thing to do. But we, we, can, see in, we can see the support of this thought in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. For just as we have many members in one body... And all have members do not have the same function, the same office. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So we believers in Christ, who are many, are one body in union with Christ, and individually we are members of one another. So that's where we support each other. We have unique roles, but we support each other. We have unconditional love. And we can see the support of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I, Paul, exhort you, fellow believers in Christ, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no rivalries among you. Instead, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same purpose. So that's Christianity. We have one purpose. But we all know our roles, and we have unconditional love. So we're not going to give up, right? And the biggest thing is not to give up on self. Because if we give up on self, then we give up on others, even trying to help others. And we'll end up giving up on God. That's, and at the end of the day, that's what Satan wants. He wants us just to give up. But we're not going to give up. Because we're Barah Ministries. We're just going to keep, one foot in, keep putting one foot in front of the other and just keep going. And that's what God would want us to do. And that's what we do because we're all here to support each other. 
We're all here to support the message, and we're all here to get the word out that Christ is the Savior. And we're not religious. We're just Christianity. So and this is super easy to get, and I just hope that everybody tries their best to just extend unconditional love to the people in their lives that are causing chaos and causing fear because they're the people that need it the most. So thank you very much. back today's Bible lesson. In God's eyes, women are not inferior to men. In God's eyes, women are not inferior to men. In God's plan, each of us is expected to conduct ourselves in honorable ways. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Yet in Satan's world, when the suggestion of roles surfaces, there are always controversies. In God's plan, men are presidents and women are vice presidents. That does not connote inferiority. If somebody else is first in line and you are second in line, do your job. If your job is to be second in line, be second. What's wrong with being second? I'm second in God's line. I don't, it doesn't bother me. I don't have one day in my life I'm thinking, I ought to be better than him, or I ought to be equal to him. I'm not. I have my job to do, and I want to do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 to 16 say this, However, in union with the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, 
nor is man independent or of women. These are the people that drive me a little bit crazy in this life, the ones who don't understand that there is a time to be dependent, there is a time to be independent, and then there is a time to be interdependent. When you are dependent, you count on somebody else. You get sick, you need somebody to take you to the hospital. Now, some people don't understand that, right? And they start saying, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. Okay, yeah, it's not your call. We already called the ambulance. There are six people here. You are going to the hospital, amen? Especially if you don't know this is Mesa, Arizona, and you think it's Topeka, Kansas, amen? There's a time to be dependent. There's a time to be independent. There's a time to stand on your own two feet. And the people that drive me crazy are saying, well, I want to do it on my own. Nobody does anything on their own. And so they, they got this big independence piece, this little tiny dependence piece, and then an afterthought independent, interdependent piece. So overdevelopment in any of these areas is to be avoided. You want to know when you should be dependent, when you should be independent, when you should be interdependent, and use the appropriate expertise when it's called for. 1 Corinthians 11, 12. For as, this is the equality part, for as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Amen? Amen? We got a role to do. I don't want to get pregnant. I was pregnant one year ago today. I was, I was pregnant with twins. Amen? 245-pound stomach was sticking out so far, I didn't even know that I had feet. I had to look in a mirror. Now I look down, I can see my feet. Amen? 53 pounds later. Go ahead. I know you want to clap. Yeah. Yeah, none of my clothes fit. Look at this. This, this doesn't fit. See, because if it was fitting, you'd, you'd be seeing all this. You'd say, man, he really lost weight. I did. I got to go shopping. Anyway, we need each other is that verse. 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen. judge for yourselves. Now that I've made the argument, Paul is saying, judge for yourselves, and this is a command. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? No. No. Why? Because it dishonors the head. Her physical head uncovered dishonors her metaphorical head. Her husband and her father and, and, and her church, so she doesn't do it. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. unless you think not an equal opportunity teacher, doesn't even nature itself teach you that if to him? One of the signs of rebellion in men is long hair. Amen? That's why I showed you that picture last week of how Satan pictures Jesus Christ. And it's always with long hair. Jesus Christ didn't have long hair. Jesus Christ was black and he was bald. Amen? No. See, you guys laugh, but you haven't been to Israel. I've been to Israel three times. And there is no way that you survive in Israel with white skin. Because there's limestone everywhere, and that sun is reflecting off. He was dark, so you better get used to it. And he is handsome, and he was strong, 
and he ate great food, and he drank great drink, and he dressed well. Why do you think that they were dividing up his garments at the base of the cross? Because he was a hobo? He had on a beautiful, gorgeous purple robe, and they wouldn't even cut it into pieces. It was so beautiful. See, but in Satan's kingdom, all the lies, all the lies. Crazy. 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. Yeah, because women look good with long hair. For her hair is given to her for a covering. It's giving to, given to her for a lure. And men love looking at women's hair. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. But if somebody's inclined to be contentious, you want to fight about it, we have no other practices, nor have the church of God any other practices. This is the way it is. What's the point? Be honorable. Behave in such a way that you bring honor to the head. When someone has authority over you, are you inferior or are they your guide and protector? They are your guide and protector. What is your attitude toward authority? When we are subordinate, and the, 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 pref, the prefix sub means under, we are under the ordination of somebody else. We are under someone else, but we're not inferior to them. So why do we always choose to feel inferior? See, that's the whole thing that that kills me about black people. You know, you need to give us permission to be free. Okay, you're free. That's what Abraham Lincoln did, right? The Emancipation Proclamation says, hey, you guys are no longer slaves, you're free. And all the confetti goes up. And then when all the dust settled, everybody looked at themselves. Well, I'm going to give me a job. You're free, and now you have to go get a job. Oh, there's dependence. (laughs) There's not just independence. Oh. So, Satan's encouraging us to think stupid. All the time. Satan encourages us to cut off our nose to spite our face. Nobody has to give you permission to be free. Nobody has to, to tell you, okay, we're now, black lives matter, we're now going to honor you all of a sudden. They aren't. I don't need your permission to feel like a human being. If you told me that I should feel like a human being, I don't trust you enough to listen to you anyway. That was the decision I made when I was four years old. When are you going to make yours? When when did you make yours? That you were going to live the life that the sovereign God of the universe ordained for you a billion years ago. If you don't understand that, go read Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship. We are masterpieces of art being drawn and crafted by God. And he laid out steps for us to walk in. That's what it says. We don't need anybody in the world's permission to be amazing. We are amazing. If you have an ice cream cone, 
You don't have to ask anybody for ice cream, amen? You already have it. If you are amazing, you don't have to ask anybody to give you permission to be amazing. Well, Paul's instruction to women should not be taken as a lack of instruction to men. There was a great balance in the passage. It should be seen as instruction about what works in life. And whenever there are rules, people want to break them. So it was with the Corinthian believers. Being in first place does not indicate superiority. In many respects, one of the, the first line of the leadership book I'm writing says, so you're a leader? I don't know whether to congratulate you or to ask you to have your head examined. Because everything tells you that in a war, you don't want to be out front. So the people who are out front are the ones who take the arrows. So being in first place does not indicate superiority. It indicates roles. Do your job. And don't seek to do the job of another. God always provides authority to set us straight. Let's listen to him. And let's do what's honorable. Let's do what brings credit to the head. All right, so the closing message of this study is the most important message of the study, and we want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. First and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you, that absolute confidence provided by your faith in Christ, and give the defense with gentleness and respect. Second, this message is for unbelievers, so that you can be saved. And I don't want anyone who comes to Barah Ministries to ever say, when face to face with the Lord, that they never got a chance to hear the gospel message. Because if you came to Barah Ministries, you've heard the gospel message over and over and over again. You, whether you know it or not, were born a sinner. That's bad news for you, because sinners need a Savior. The good news is that this gospel message offers you the chance to make the most important decision of your life, the one outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, which says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believes. We want you to know that God wants you. Now, there is one inescapable truth that is at the very root of Christianity, Jesus Christ. He is the truth. Jesus Christ is God, and there is only one way to get to heaven, and that is by placing your faith in him and in what he has done at the cross on your behalf. The bad news is you were born a sinner. The good news is that Jesus Christ paid a price with his blood so that you can be one of his saints. If you're a believer in Christ, you are no longer a saint. You are a saint. So you can, and, and when you are a saint, you are saved. This is your chance to have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How often do you think about eternal things? It's easy for human beings to be concerned only with the here and now, a concern with the things that busy us in our time on earth, a concern with the things that are temporary. Yet we know nobody gets out of this life alive. So there are questions about what people call the afterlife, the things that happen when we die, the things eternal. How often do you think about eternal things? 
The Bible tells us that God's enemy, Satan, is the one who deceives us into being short-sighted. Satan wants us to keep our focus on temporary things so we don't prepare ourselves for eternal things. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 warns us to be of sober spirit, to be on the alert, because the adversary, the devil, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion, a lion with no teeth, looking for someone to devour. Satan busies us with things that distract us from eternal matters. He diverts our attention to meaningless things. For example, the Bible tells us how easy it is to be deceived by material wealth, a problem that pervaded the church at Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, know your deeds, church of Laodicea, that you, like the water in your homes, are neither cold nor hot. And I, the Lord Jesus Christ, wish that you were cold or hot. The Lord doesn't like indecisiveness. He doesn't like mamby-pamby. Revelation 3.16, Because you are lukewarm like the water in your homes, and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Say, I dropped out again? Good. Because you Laodicean believers say, I am rich and have become materially wealthy, I have need of nothing. And you don't know that you're spiritually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Revelation 3, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become spiritually rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, unlike the black wool that gave you your material wealth, so that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I advise you to buy from me eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Material wealth often blinds us to our spiritual poverty. We think only about now and not about eternity. Well, what is it that the Lord wants us to see? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one master and he will love the other master, or he will be devoted to one master and he will despise the other master. You can't serve God and wealth. The Lord wants us to see the two ways to get to heaven. The first way to get to heaven is to be perfect like God is perfect, because God demands perfection from us to get to heaven. Material wealth can't buy perfection nor does it buy a relationship with God. Are you perfect enough to get to heaven? Well, once we sin, we're no longer perfect, so that takes that option off the table, and you were born in a state of sin. James chapter 2, verse 10 says this, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point when he breaks one law, he has become guilty of breaking the whole law. People who are felons, are felons because they want, broke one law. They're not felons because they broke the whole law, but they're still felons. Amen? Once you realize you're not perfect enough to get into heaven, the only other way to get to heaven is by means of, God, means of God's grace, which is free of charge. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said this to the dawning apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life, the Zoe life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me.
Once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, God makes you perfect. At the moment of your salvation, the Lord imputes his absolute righteousness, his perfection, to you. Accepting the Lord Jesus Christ's grace gift of eternal life saves you. And as a result of the Lord's work at the cross, the work that paid for the sins of all mankind, including yours, sin was eliminated as a barrier between you and God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be a sin substitute on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in union with him. So if you are imperfect, and you, and you are if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can be made perfect by God by asking God the Father to credit to your account real wealth, spiritual wealth, his own righteousness, his own perfection, which is your admission ticket to heaven. Having God's righteousness makes you spiritually wealthy, and God will honor your request when you ask for his righteousness, and you will be saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Chapter 3, verse 36 warns, though, he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. John chapter 3, verse 17 God the Father did not send God the Son into the world to judge the world, but God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Who is the God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. So take the free gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. Just tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of perfection. That is the moment of eternal life for you. Now is the time to think about eternal things. God wants you, and real wealth happens when you decide to have a relationship with him. Well, let's close with some music. June Murphy is a plagiarist. Do you know what a plagiarist is? Somebody who steals other people's stuff and repurposes it. She has stolen all of her songs from lyrics in the Bible. Amen? All right, like this one. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, here's one of June's thefts. <laughs> it's called Count It All Joy. Go ahead, girlfriend.
say, huh? That bothered me. There's only one of those that we got in there. <laughs> All right, let's close with a doxology of praise. Philippians 4, 6 says, stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything by prayer and petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will garrison your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through our union with Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for giving us leadership to follow. Thank you for having a plan that we can learn and that we can execute through the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. Thank you for having us personally in mind for all eternity by name. Thank you for numbering the very hairs on our head. 
Thank you for guiding our steps. Thank you for sending your son to give us a so great salvation that boggles the mind and staggers the imagination, a salvation that will be completed in the proper time. And thank you for making a home for us for all eternity with you. In your house are many mansions, and your son told us that he has gone there to prepare a place for us, and we eagerly await our reunion in our home. As we go out into this world, Satan's kingdom this week, help us to make a difference to everyone we meet, one conversation at a time. Help us to call to mind the key verses of the gospel message. Help us to share the good news about what Jesus Christ did to free us from the slavery of this world and to propel us into a relationship with you. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.